Hey everybody, welcome back to another episode of Difficult Conversations by Supply the Why. Tonight we have a great show for you, very timely topic, should I stay or should I go? It's the decision whether or not that uh, you and your family and your loved ones, pets, what have you, should, should you evacuate or should you try to ride out natural disasters? So this is all based on a post that I put out uh, about a week ago on, on all the social media uh, platforms that Supply the Wise on regarding a conversation I overheard where people were debating um, what to do in these circumstances and, and you know what's the perfect answer. So um, based on that and based on some, pro- some prior interactions, uh, I have the perfect guest, Miss Heather Hilliard. Let me go ahead and get her up. Hey, Heather. Hey, Dean. How you doing? I'm doing very well. Uh, just wanted to have you come on and just and just kind of share your knowledge, share your wisdom, and just maybe if you could tell everybody a little bit about yourself and why you're the perfect person to have on the show to have this conversation with. Sure. Well, I want to thank you for having me. This is uh, very timely. I am not only a certified emergency manager, but a certified floodplain manager. Um, I live and am based in New Orleans, and currently I am in Florida responding to issues from Hurricane Ian. Um, so I have been through um, you know, the, some of the worst storms we've had as a first responder starting my career in EMS, uh, moved into emergency management got master's degrees um, and continue to want to help my community. And now I'm doing it around the country. Uh, As a consultant, I left government work and I'm doing consulting so that I can take all the things I learned from all the bad things that have happened in New Orleans, from weather events, from marsh fires, from chemical accidents, train derailments, um, tornadoes, believe it or not, too. We've, We've been hit a few times and bringing it elsewhere. Um, and that post that you had the other week, uh, really hit home. And I think I I told you behind the scenes for me, it's a hard choice for people, but I'm going to keep saying the same thing and promote evacuation. Um, There are different ways to do it, different support systems, because if you get one person to evacuate, just like the starfish you throw back in the sea, you can save that one. And we've had, you know, just devastating loss of life here in Florida. And I'm going to keep saying that same message. Let people help you if you need the help evacuate that's the best course of action not only for you and your loved ones but also for first responders that are responding to a disaster all right so let's dive in here all right so let me get out my my fork and knife so we're talking about should i stay or should i go so i'm gonna devil's advocate you a little bit here because clearly people are gonna say of course you say evacuate you're an emergency manager it's what you plan for it's your big game so to speak mm-hmm. so let's talk about some of the things that you hear as to people as the, as the reasons why people refuse to evacuate. So one of the big things that I know I hear a lot is I have pets. I don't, I can't leave my dog, my cat, you know, whatever. So talk to us a little bit about, about pets, people with pets and what kind of resources you have in place for them. Sure. So every jurisdiction is different around the country. Municipalities, counties or parishes and states have evacuation plans and mass care plans to support you if you need assistance. So part of the pet factor is I don't have the money to send my pet off to board. I don't want to be separated from my pet. Um, But in New Orleans, you know, after Katrina, the first disaster storm we had was Hurricane Gustav. And we created the, the city evacuation plan where we had pets Um, evacuating as well. Municipalities and parishes or counties have places typically contracted elsewhere in the state or with other states through mutual agreements 
to send you and your pets. So if you have a cat, put it in a carrier, you can take it with you. That may predetermine which place to, to which you're evacuating, which shelter, if you need that support. Um, if you have dogs, put them in a hard crate so that they can go on transport too. Um, we've learned the hard way and we keep learning. We keep getting better. Um, don't send pets one way and people the other. Try to keep them co-located or put a pet carrier transportation that follows the people carrier to go to the same destination so that you can be reunited with your pet. It's stress for you and it for your pet. So Heather, let me jump in real quick. So do you have, so suppose somebody says, Hey, listen, I don't have hard cases and carrying cases for my pets because we don't ever go anywhere. We don't go on vacation. Are there places that donate this type stuff? And like what happens uh, in cases where people say, listen, I don't have it. So I don't have the ability to put people on my pets in this stuff. So that's another thing that municipalities or parishes, states will do. Um, in New Orleans, the LASPCA has a, a partnership and agreement um, to help support those things. We do have other organizations that come in that also do support for evacuations, um, that they can come in early and help transport your pets uh, to the safe sheltering or just transport them if they, you can't go with the pet, um, taking care of them and then reuniting with you after the storm. All right, fair enough. So, so we address the pet thing. Another thing that we hear a lot is I have a sick relative. They're mm. bedridden or they rely on oxygen or electricity in some cases. What do you say to folks in those cases that have uh, serious medical conditions and might not have the, uh, the ability, at least they believe they don't have the ability to, uh, to evacuate? I'll start with a smaller, a bad rainstorm that knocks out electricity because you don't need to have a hurricane to lose power. Mm -hmm. Many places like we do in the New Orleans region have a list so that we know who is homebound, who is oxygen dependent. So they need electricity for that oxygen concentrator. Um, and we will do welfare checks either by phone or sending personnel first responders out to see if they have a generator at the house, if they have portable oxygen tanks. Uh, we have been known to trade out their oxygen um, at, so that we can rotate it for them in an event of a storm, not even just a hurricane. When you elevate to something like a hurricane status where you may have somebody that's wheelchair bound and family members can't transport them in a private vehicle or they don't have a vehicle, which is frequently the case. Mm -hmm. In New Orleans and in Jefferson Parish, in our area, we actually have systems where we have a an information line, a 211, um, a 311, if you will, and we have a registry where you can call in and say, my family matter, member is bed bound, wheelchair bound, unable to ambulate, walk, um, oxygen dependent, requires dialysis three times a week. All of these things are components that we need to consider in a disaster, um, be it a hurricane, a tornado, um, wildfires, any of these occurrences, um, and we're seeing more of them because of climate change. So we actually have a list where we can be proactive. There are state contracts and local contracts with ambulance companies to help move those people. Some of them need kind of a medivan where you, you have several wheelchairs in like you would go to a doctor's office, but they're contracted to take them to a shelter that can support the medical needs and they have medical personnel there to receive them. All right, outstanding. So I'm going to hit the chat real quick. We have a couple folks that are uh, that are happy that we're having this conversation. So John says, very timely topic, Dean. Wrote out the storm in my Cape Coral, Florida home. Additionally, I work on Fort Myers Beach. My wife works for Wink News and was on Cinnabel 
during the storm. So it sounds to uh, to me, John, like you were uh, you were deep in it, and I am glad that you are uh, that you made it through because it looked like yeah. it was hairy down there for a little bit. Um, the next comment is from Ashley. Ashley, um, uh, this looks like one of those old uh, multiple choice A through J type questions. So let's see. <laughs> um, let's, let's let's go through this. So she says. How can we ensure local level emergency management agencies are creating plans and providing resources for transportation and shelter support? Currently, there are no professional emergency management training standards or requirements to ensure that this occurs. There is also a lack of review and accountability of places that do not have them or have outdated plans. So Heather, that's all you go ahead, jump in there. All right, I'm going to start with the last part first, and Ashley is a fellow CEM. Um, I want to say that some jurisdictions, like in New Orleans after Hurricane Katrina, have put in legal requirements that evacuation plans for nursing homes are there, and they are reviewed every year. As you know, with Ida, um, in the state of Louisiana, we had some uh, not great outcomes, um, and there was prosecution for alleged uh whatever i'm not an attorney so i won't go whatever that word choice is um but we have those things that they are in place the state has to review certain plans for nursing homes but that is a state by state or county city requirement so there are some another outlet um as ashley may or may not know is at the international association of emergency managers which accredits us internationally with our emergency manager um, certification that she and i both have we have committees we have a diversity committee on which I sit to make sure that it is equitable discussion and access to evacuate people that not only certain nursing homes get that second eye or that wink wink so that they get out of plans. So we have committees that are looking to structure that more fully. And then the third thing, which was her first point, is how do we ensure this happens? We do that because we are a community of emergency managers that can network and support one another. If you don't have a plan or you have a friend who doesn't have a plan in their community, ask somebody who does. Look at the Gulf Coast region. I, I right now am on the west side of Florida um, doing response and recovery work. Ask one of us that has a plan. If you get hit hard, you rewrite that plan after every storm with an after action report and an improvement plan. We will share them. Uh, that's a great way to do it. So you don't have to create the wheel. You might have to refine the wheel for your community, but we absolutely uh, should be talking about this. We have it at the conference coming up soon um, for IAEM. Certified floodplain managers too. We're, we're starting to cross uh, fertilize our mitigation efforts, things that we see that really need to be done. So it's the old phone a friend, really do that. That's what our network is all about, which as Dean, as you know, is how we connected to begin with. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So I want to circle back to something you said that I thought was very interesting. You, uh, you talked about a diversity committee you're on. Yes. And so what would you say to folks that, that don't feel like the response would be equitable, be it based on race, being based on economics? Um, I have to believe that there's a decent amount of folks that feel like, well, you know, nobody cares if this hits me anyway because I'm poor or because I belong to this group or that group. How, like, do you run into that? And if so, what do you do and how do you mitigate that? So I have a unique situation. Um, you and I look different. I live in a community where I'm in a minority. Um, so I have a different perspective. And the, the way that I believe and that I act is you have to be the change. So if I think that there's something inequitable or I don't think that everybody's getting the fair shot, I will speak up. I put my energy towards that. 
I listen to the community when they're saying, um, you know, we live, and I'll give another New Orleans example, we live on top of an old waste dump. Somebody needs to move us. You, you know, rig the system and put this um, working black class community on a dump site. The EPA and the city of New Orleans have heard that argument finally and are moving them and paying for them to move. Change can happen. It does not happen quickly, but you need to get in, involved in committees. You need to read research like um, Dr. Junya Howell, who has put together research that shows after disaster, um, really wealth is decreased for black families. We need to go back to the institutions that have created that and make the change so that we can take out of that inequity. Look at how to make justice come about. Look to ensure everybody has a seat at the table and is heard. You cannot give a token seat just to say you have somebody there. We really need to work on that and you need to find somebody that can be your voice. So so while we're on that subject, so but do you hear that as as an objection as to why people might not evacuate or my or why people might stay? They might feel like, you know, you just I'm not going to go to some place. It's going to be, you know, like like some horror show shelter or something like that where I'm going to get robbed, beat up, things like that. Uh, are those some of the objections that you see? Heather, you there? Oh, you froze yes. for a little bit there. No, I'm All back. Right. Okay. Sorry about go. that. Um, do you need, we do you need hear me to that. repeat? And, okay, go ahead. No, I got it. Uh, we do hear that. Um, you don't care about me. They, the establishment of government, doesn't care about me. So after Katrina, we made sure to put in evacuation points looking at where is mass transit? What is the income of the population? Where are there no cars? Where is there a high density population within a home? Um, so there's more people, the meaning multi-generational or larger family units living together. Uh, you really need the community involvement and you need to use data. So it depends on where you are. People don't care about me. I'm low income. You don't see me. And we have to, as emergency managers, make the effort to be inclusive to make sure we're listening to everybody and that we are putting resources where the needs are. So we do hear that um, 200 years is a long time to make a change. We need to do it. So it's not going to happen overnight, but with every event, we are making it better, seeing what works well and taking best practices from other places to leverage. Um, that's really what we need to do. And we keep needing, I keep saying it, be the change. If it's not working, speak out. Talk to your elected officials, talk to emergency managers, talk to community groups that can be a voice for you. Uh, we do hear them and uh, elected officials do listen. All right. So my next question is this, how do people go about finding these resources? So we spoke earlier about all these things that you have in place, these great programs you have in place that you can take advantage of before the storm hits, as far as um, specialized evacuation, evacuation plans for pets, for people that are seriously infirm, how do you, how would one even go about um, finding these? Because not everybody's computer and tech savvy, right? And and we recognize that. So as public information officers or public affairs personnel, given your background, um, it really we look at this and say, how do you get the message out? People do still read the newspaper, believe it or not. There's this print thing that used to come to the door every day, um, <laughs> and we make sure to advertise in that. We do mailers. We do doorknob hangers and go around to the areas that need the information so it's at their house. We have town hall meetings. So it's not just all Facebook, Nextdoor, Instagram, you know, Snap, Twitter. It's not all based that way. 
the people who hear those messages, honestly, sometimes we target the teenagers too, because if you, if you are more affluent, you may think I have the means to ride out the storm. I don't need to go anywhere. Yes, you do. You need to be out of the way of the first responders, take your family to safety, go. So the people that chose to stay behind feel like they were left behind or didn't have time to get out with the resources they have, we need to help them as first responders. So we do different messaging techniques. And, and I started to say on Twitter, sometimes the message is to the teenager, because mm -hmm. if you have a teenager and you hear from your teenager 15 times, mom, they're saying we should evacuate. Mom, they say we should evacuate. Mom, they say, okay, all right, all right, fine. We're gonna evacuate. Um, so you hit different targets of the population to get the action needed to save even just one life. Because if I don't have to worry about you, I can go three houses down where I know they didn't evacuate and get them before they are succumb to the storm. All right. So I'm going to jump back in the chat. That's a great answer. So John's back and John says huge issues with those lower income individuals, mostly minorities who do not own. Many of these people lost everything with no insurance. Where do they go from here? How do they recover? So FEMA has um, individual assistance programs to help people in the storm. I will tell you, you know, I had insurance in Ida. Um, I was still eligible to apply to FEMA to get money for the things I lost in my fridge because I didn't have power for over a week. There are different things in every community, and we're doing it right now in Florida, helping spread the word about this. Temporary housing. You don't own the home. You are a renter. You need somewhere to go beyond a shelter. Um, how does that work? So there are organizations in addition to FEMA who help the, the municipalities, the counties, and the state get that information out on temporary housing, short-term housing. None of us like to use the phrase FEMA trailer after Katrina, um, but states can buy those trailers and put them out there. Um, Lake Charles, you know, still has trailers from Hurricane Laura. Um, and we are in another hurricane season where they are still trying to rebuild and they got hit again after Laura. So there are things that if you are a renter, there are programs out there with FEMA. FEMA goes through the county and the municipality to spread the word again through different means, newspapers, flyers, posting up on telephone poles, going to community centers, going to the places where you can get food and water, MREs, supplies, cleaning supplies those sorts of things. And they target the shelters too, where you may have evacuated to make sure they're getting that. They usually also have people that will help you enroll um, because you know I used to work for the government, so I can say it, it's not always the easiest to navigate. They do recognize that, especially after a disaster to help people um, get into those programs. How about a hotline? Is there a hotline in place that just uh, interstate, you know, where it's like, hey, like, you know, it doesn't matter what state you are, it routes you, you say, hey, look, kind of like 911, you say, what's the location of your emergency? And it gets you the resources in that area. Is there something like that in place? There is not. Um, for the oil spills, for instance, there's the National Response Center, um, which is with the Coast Guard to respond to oil spills. But that's usually isolated or in navigable waterways because that's what the Coast Guard does. Mm -hmm. each, each disaster is different. The best is to look at your county or your city they will give that information out. So they will also put that information out beforehand, like follow us on X, Y, or Z um, media outlets, look at the news. The news usually, and, and John mentioned earlier, I think that his wife worked for the news. They will have a ticker tape at the bottom saying, you know, which county, Manatee County, here's the phone number, Hardy County, here's the phone number, so that it's a regional thing and you don't have to be at home to hear how you're gonna get help. 
Um, but there's information out there, but it's not standard because every hurricane is different. Every tornado is different. And we tailor what's needed and how the messages go out to every event. That's, that's wonderful. So you mentioned ticket tape. So I'm going to pause here for a second. This is Difficult Conversations by Supply of the Y. We're here with Ms. He Heather Hilliard. She's dropping some knowledge in, in regards to should I stay or should I go? Uh, the decision to evacuate during a natural disaster. If you like this conversation, please like and subscribe to Supply of the Y on all of your favorite social media platforms. Uh, every little bit helps. And episodes like this, uh, they're, they're it's very timely now, but it, it, we're hoping that this will help people in the future too when it comes down to figuring out uh, what their best options are. And you never know, your question might be something somebody else wants to ask and it could mm -hmm. save a life. So please uh, get the, help us get the word out there that way. So Heather, we're down under 10 minutes. Tell us a little bit about what you're working on and some of the things that you're passionate about as far as uh, as far as getting awareness out there, as far as building up resources and getting more people to get involved in this, because it's a daunting task, no doubt, trying to get people to be involved and prepare for something that they can't see or touch. It is. Um, there's really kind of two sides to that. And one is something personally, um, even before Katrina, but when I saw the devastation we had with Katrina really kicked off. So that first piece is, is equity and inclusion and how do you make sure the right people at the table and they're heard? Um, so looking at lots of different data sources and socioeconomic status, where people are, part of my floodplain hat that I wear, um, really has seen that lower income people, um, particularly of non-white status, are relegated to purchase suboptimal property. And that's a very academic way to say they get the stuff that the people with money don't want. And it's typically in floodplains um, beachfront property is high dollar, but just behind it is usually where the surge comes in and it sits. Um, there's also, you know, in the marshes and, and when we get surge in Louisiana, um, a lot of those folks were fishers um, or, you know, oyster men and women that it's really a different um, kind of life and job style that they depend on that natural resource that can also take their life. Um, so I have been very vocal, and that's one of the things on the diversity committee for IEM that I, I am passionate about is making sure the people in D.C. hear the problems that, that I have seen that New Orleans still has, um, but we, we come at it at a different angle because we aren't the predominantly white society. We, you know, everybody at the leadership level from the mayor, the chief of police, the fire chief um, come from the community. They are not white people leading the charge. So they have a different perspective they're bringing and hearing what they're saying and what the community needs and pulling in data sources, really to get that message heard at FEMA, um, at state levels. Um, you know, I'm in consulting and, and with clients too. FEMA is putting in diversity requirements, disadvantaged community requirements for grants. So if we can help a community that, that we're assisting with grants or assisting in recovery and say, we know what used to be here. Let's show that data and how we can help leverage and get more money for that community to raise houses, to build a different, you know, perhaps a solar, a green infrastructure system, to look at stormwater differently and how you do detention and retention ponds instead of just pumping it away to flood some other community, those sorts of things. So that's kind of part one. Um, and I'm trying to, you know, keep it calm for you, Dean. Um, but that's really- <laughs> Let it out, Heather. <laughs> no. 
No, I'm keeping it calm. Um, so that's part one. The second is we need to do more education. We need to listen to what the community wants. Um, in the BP oil spill, for instance, we listened to people who had fished and shrimped for decades and generations. You could not get a better indicator of where do the shrimp go and migrate, which also told you where the tarballs went, where the oil came in with those currents and subcurrents by listening to local knowledge. That is um, so important in everything we do. So that's another way, listen to what the community needs or what it hasn't been getting. And not everybody can be satisfied all the time, but we can certainly keep working to make it better and share and leverage between emergency managers, between floodplain managers, between just community and those involved in the community that here's what worked for us, here's what didn't, don't try it again. Um, but looking at that, we really need to listen more and take that data and show the government that has these federal grants that are meant for these sorts of things, how we can make it better based on fact rather than complaint, squeaky wheel, things people don't want to hear or politics. We really need to get beyond that to work forward. That's a fantastic, very comprehensive answer there, Heather. So I'm, gonna, I'm just going to ask you something real quick. And then John's got, a, got a, a statement in the chat I want to get to. Talk to me in about 60 seconds or so. What is the collaboration like between uh, the different stakeholders and the different first responders? Because I know in some some areas, believe it or not, in the north, sometimes it's like you stay in your sandbox. I'll stay in mine. So is it like that there? Are you able to work seamlessly with the police, the fire department, the hospitals? Tell us a little bit about that process. There are always intercommunication challenges. It is not always smooth. You have people who have their own personal or professional agendas for their entity, their organization, their agency. Uh, we're better about getting around that. The, the more disasters you have happened to your community, the better you are at listening because you do not want to repeat. It's so, surprisingly that makes sense. You know, that that's less, I think the first year of COVID, we stood up our EOC eight times. I think we only got in the cone actually four, but we stood up eight times. So it what does that mean? Up. Can you say that in, in, in regular yes. speak? Okay, yes. what does that mean to us normal folks? So, and, and you folks who don't get hurricanes, that meant we were on that cone of uncertainty eight times in the summer of 2020 between may 15th is the soft opening of hurricane season june 1st and november 30th eight storms in the gulf could have come at us and we stood up and we don't start the conversation when that cone hits in our area we actually start the conversation well before we know the players I'm not gonna call you for the first time and say, hey, I hear that you're with the power company. Can you come to my emergency operations center to help? Because if that's the first time you're having the conversation, you got a world of problems coming. We need to communicate early and often, teach each other what we do and share the resources, which again, if you're hit often, you learn how to do that, to lift the community, to make it better for individuals. It doesn't happen always well, but we're always trying and, and we're working towards it. And police and fire as well. You're able to um, yes. to get them to get them involved in the conversation. So yes. So emergency operations centers have positions, and they're called emergency support functions. They have one for police. They have one for fire. They have one for EMS and public health. There are 15 different seats at the table. Um, 16 in Louisiana because of cyber. We've created that with the National Guard. But there are 15 different positions at the table in addition to operations that happen in addition to you know planning the the 
administration and finance, those sorts of things. There are all these people that come with a stake in the game. Utility companies don't want you to be mad at them because they didn't participate in early conversations. They will be there. Trust me. Um, they will make sure to have somebody there with you. Police and fire as well. Uh, EMS. We work together very well in storms, um, even when it's a private EMS company or, you know, there's multiple, we have, you know, multiple police jurisdictions down here. We'll come together to make sure that we're supporting one another to keep it the least bad as possible. And that involves getting people out when we say. All right. Well, fair enough. We're down to about 90 seconds here. John says a hotline would be helpful. Teams of people who get out into these disasters to provide valuable recovery information would also help. I've met lots of people who do not even know where to begin. And uh, I'd say amen to that. And then, uh, uh, John, I know that you uh, that this that this comment means a lot to you from your uh, your former your former job, what you did before, because in law enforcement, this is a critical component which is you build relationships in your communities before something bad happens. That way, when you go back and ask people to trust you, there's a foundation that you can build from. It's not just, um, yes. just in a, you know, like a, like, it's not like a cold call, so to speak. It takes six times for research has shown this six times for somebody to hear something before they believe it. If you wait till three days before a storm, you don't have six times to share. So you have to have the conversation all year long, not just in hurricane season, not just in wildfire season, not just in tornado season. You need to be educating constantly using community emergency response teams, which are volunteers that are trained to go out. And you don't have to do it alone as emergency manager. Like I said earlier, reach out, have others help you be the change. All right. Heather, really quick, in about 10 seconds, how do people follow you? How do people get in touch with you? 